This is Eat, You'll Feel Better, a podcast about the food-mood connection. I'm Mary Beth Albright, your host, food journalist, and fellow traveler in using food to improve mental health. And today, it's all about the link between ultra-processed food and decreased mental health. And this is really brand new science, and it's very exciting. It's brand new now, but there are some studies that go back over the past 20 years looking at the long-term health effects of ultra-processed foods on our mental health and emotional well-being. And it makes sense that it's relatively new science because we haven't had ultra-processed foods for very long. I mean, if you go back to industrial processing, um, like a hundred years ago, when we started looking at how to mass produce food, I mean, that's how old it is, right? So science is catching up here because first we needed to say to ourselves, hmm, there's something about ultra processed foods that seems to be affecting emotional well being. And then Science needs to create the study and the the protocol for the study. What are we going to look at? How are we going to do this in a way that that conforms to the scientific method so that we can have real evidence-based science? And then you've got to actually do the study. And you've got to find enough people that it's a big enough study. So it's a lot of work here that's been done, but now, particularly just this year, there have been two really large studies that I'm going to talk about, about the link between how ultra-processed food affects our emotional well-being and our mental health. So the first one I want to talk about is there's a a study, it's a population study of more than 140,000 people. So this is a lot of people. This is a big, big study. And The study found that frequent eating of fried foods, especially fried potatoes, is associated with a 12% increase in the risk of depression and a 7% increase in the risk of anxiety. Now, we all love fried foods, right? I mean, most of us do. Uh, our, Our brains, there's something that happens in our brains when we eat something that's fried that has you know, that, that the juicy fat in it and the crackle, um, and the, 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 the really pleasurable mouthfeel of something that's been fried. But we're starting to look at how whatever happens in the frying process when you heat oil really, really hot might start affecting our emotional well being. Now, even more exciting study is just, it was just published last month that it was more involved more than 31,000 women and showed that those who ate the most ultra processed food were 50% likelier to develop depression than women who ate the least amount of ultra processed food. Now, no one in this, in these studies is eating no ultra processed food because it's very hard to stay away from ultra processed food in this world. It is everywhere. It is really tasty. Uh, it is easy and often inexpensive. So nobody's eating no ultra processed food in these studies. 
But this study I really love because it looked at women over the course of 15 years. It wasn't just a blip in time, right? It wasn't just somebody sitting down with 31,000 women and saying, okay, how much ultra processed food do you eat? It followed them over the course of 15 years. And the people who developed depression and anxiety symptoms did not have those depression and anxiety symptoms at the beginning of the study. And there were particular increases in depression and anxiety when the ultra-processed food consumption included soft drinks, sodas, cola, with artificial sweeteners. So it's not just the thing that we usually think about, fat, sugar, salt, right? That when we think about eating those three things in that combination, the fat and the sugar and the salt, that there's something really just delicious about it that you just want to sink into that food. So the interesting thing is that even when there's artificial sweeteners, this link between depression, anxiety, and ultra-processed foods still exists. And the evidence continues to grow about the many ways that ultra-processed foods are linked with adverse health outcomes and adverse health outcomes of many, many kinds, including mental health, but certainly not limited to mental health. So let's back up for a minute and define what we mean by ultra-processed foods and how it's different from foods that are merely processed food, right? Because most of the food we buy in the grocery store isn't just pulled from a ground and put on the shelf. I mean, you think about like spinach, right? If, if you, if you buy spinach that's just like pulled from the ground, still has the roots on the bottom. I mean, that's, that's not a processed food, likely. But the bagged spinach, it's still just spinach, but when it's washed and bagged, that counts as a level of processing. So look, this is, it's not easy stuff here. It's confusing and it's keeping us from, you know, when you, when you're standing in the grocery store and it's like, what's processed? What's ultra processed? I don't know. And you just like, you know, to hell with it and go buy a pizza, right? We don't want the perfect to be the enemy of the good here. And as I said, in these studies, it's not that no one is eating ultra-processed food at any given time. It's just a matter of whether it's part of your regular eating pattern and how much ultra-processed food you eat. Because there are estimates that in America, the average American, 58% of our diet comes from ultra-processed foods. So again, important to talk about what we mean by ultra-processed food. And the reason the definition is so difficult is because you're looking for one definition that covers literally tens of thousands of products, maybe more. I mean, probably into the hundred thousand. When you think about all of the food that is in an average grocery store and somehow you can't find that, you know, one sauce that you want or the one kind of thing that you want in that grocery store. But because science has to be exact, the studies that I just mentioned used something called the NOVA system, which is a system of classification for processing food. 
And there are four groups. I'm not going to get too deeply into it because if you do, it might confuse the issue even more. But there are four groups. And the higher you get, the more processed the food is. So group one is things like milk that goes through some degree of processing, that is pasteurization, and then it goes into a carton and then you buy it. But that's a level one food. Level four foods are things that are not found in nature, that use industrial ingredients, you know, chips, mass-produced cookies. And the way that something is produced, the way that a food is produced is really important to whether it counts as an ultra-processed food. So that group four in the NOVA system, one of the definitions is it uses ingredients that are specifically for industrial processing of food. The issue with that is that a lot of times on the ingredients list, it doesn't say how or whether the ingredient was processed. I'll give you an example. If you're looking at corn chips, like tortilla chips, mass-produced tortilla chips, major brands that you know you go to a grocery store and there's 20 or 30 bags on the shelf of one kind of chip, the ingredients on that might just say corn, oil, and salt. And if you look at that, I mean, those aren't things that are used for industrial processing. I use corn at home, I use oil at home, and I use salt at home. So what's the problem? And the issue is that the label doesn't talk about how the corn was processed. Because if you see corn on a label, it could just, it could mean kernels of corn fresh off of a cob, or it could mean corn that has gone through high heat processing in enormous industrial batches that change the chemical makeup of that corn. When anything undergoes high heat processing, it's going to change that chemical makeup and it turns into just something that is chemically different than a kernel of corn off of a cob. So what works for science research, this this NOVA system works for science, but you you shouldn't need a PhD in chemistry to feed yourself. Um, it doesn't work for consumers who, you know, don't spend their whole lives or even an hour or a minute a day thinking about food science. It's very hard when you're standing in a grocery store staring at all of the options, particularly when you're hungry and particularly when it's 530 and if you're feeding other people. And thinking to yourself, I wonder how this corn was processed, right? So there are many people right now trying to come up with definitions of what is an ultra-processed food. So my quick definition, and this is for somebody, you're not even looking at the ingredients list. You're just like standing in a grocery store and trying to decide, you're, you're trying to look for something that is not the level four, the most processed of the most processed, right? You're looking for something that is less than that. So the way that I think about it is, and this is backed by science, is the food shelf stable, right? So something that you can just leave on the shelf, leave out on the shelf, in your pantry, wherever, uh, for a year, 
or sometimes a lot more than a year, but is that food shelf stable? And yet it will not stay in your house for more than a couple of days before you've eaten the whole thing. I think about, we'll go back to chips. I'm not demonizing chips, um, but it, they're, they're, they're sort of easily fit within the definition. Um, it, that, those, that food is made to last for years, but there's something about it that makes you want to eat it all very quickly. And that will decrease the diversity of other foods that you eat. Because ultra-processed foods, one thing that we see is that people who are eating ultra-processed foods eat more of it than they will of a homemade version. There's an NIH study um, that housed people for an entire month and fed them ultra-processed foods versus processed foods. So for example, um, a ready-made frozen breakfast sandwich versus just making a breakfast sandwich yourself, you know, from scratch, eggs, um, even just heating up an English muffin, right? You don't have to make the English muffin from scratch, but just doing it yourself, making it yourself. When you make it yourself, you eat less of it than you will of an ultra-processed food. And no one knows why. And that's really critical here. Because until we know why, it's very difficult to make a definition that's going to cover thousands and thousands of products. And so that's why we need to come up with a consumer-driven definition that we can use right now. And that idea of I'm standing in the grocery store and I'm faced with a whole bunch of things that will last in my pantry for a year, but I'm going to eat it within a couple of days. That there's something about the ultra processing of the food that makes us desire more of it and need more of it to satisfy ourselves, need more of it to have that kind of pleasure that will satisfy us. This isn't about decreasing our pleasure in life. Food pleasure is extraordinarily important. I am, I benefit from it every single day, but we need to look at ways to satisfy ourselves, to pleasure ourselves that are going to be in our own long-term best interest. If you are someone, so that's my quick and, quick and dirty way of looking at, is this food an ultra-processed food? The, if you want to get more specific as a consumer and you're somebody who looks at ingredients lists, look for ingredients that you can buy in your grocery store. The product should have, you know, there, every, every mass produced product has an ingredients list on the back and you can look on the back and see, are these things I could buy in the grocery store? Again, it's not always perfect because if you see something that says corn, and oil and salt, well, I can buy those three things in the, in the grocery store, but the label doesn't right now cover how the corn is processed. So it's not perfect, but it's a really good way. Like, does this have ingredients that I could buy right now and make this at home? That's a really, really good way of looking at it. Not perfect. It's sometimes over-inclusive and sometimes under-inclusive, 
like when you buy cottage cheese, it will say milk and then it will have lists of bacteria that are in it. You can't buy the bacteria in the grocery store, but it's still like an excellent food for you. And that's why it's so the, the conversation around ultra processed food can be so confusing. And we as consumers need to really boil it down because otherwise we're just at the mercy of the ultra processed food industry and the government coming up with its own definition, right? So number one, ingredients you can buy in the grocery store. This is if you're somebody who reads ingredient lists. Number two, ingredients that are specific. Often on an ingredients list, you'll see an and or, like canola oil and or safflower oil and or corn oil, right? This is an indication that the company who is making the food can change the ingredient based on what is in their best interest, which is usually what's most profitable. I mean, there's no secret. Those companies are in in business for making money. They're public companies and that's their job, right? So when you see a label that has an and or on it, you know that it may not be that the company is choosing ingredients that are in your best interest, but in their best interest. Not evil, just something no. And the third interesting thing you can look at if you're looking at ingredients list is just last month, um, the country of Colombia passed the first ever junk food tax in the world. And it's 10% now, and it rises to 20% by 2025. But in order to tax junk food, you need to define what junk food is. So Colombia as well as a couple of neighboring countries, Ecuador and Peru, already had health warnings on ultra-processed foods. They're, the labels, the food labels in their countries need to have something that says, warning, this is an ultra-processed food and it could be bad for your health. And the way that those countries define it is foods with a high content of added sugar and of saturated fat. So that's a working definition too, but that requires a little bit more, you know, you, you don't, you probably don't have three hours to spend in the grocery store looking at labels, but you know, if every time you go to the grocery store, you take something that you normally buy and look at one label per visit to the grocery store, it, by the, by the end of the year, by the end of next year, you'll have a better idea of what you're putting in your body. And it doesn't mean absolutely don't eat it. You know, we're on eat, you'll feel better. We are staunchly anti-diet culture. So this is not a message that never, ever eat ultra processed foods again. Look, if that's a, if that's a possibility for you, go for it. Right. But there is a reason that ultra processed foods exist. And we have 8 billion people in this world that we're trying to feed. Right. So the food system is not going to go anywhere anytime soon. And just to look at why I choose ultra-processed foods sometimes, look, sometimes it's just the easy choice. It's easy. It's convenient. They last a long time. It cuts down on cooking time. Like There are all kinds of reasons why in the past 100 years, ultra-processed foods have completely changed our food system, completely changed it. And, you know, allowed, <laughs> for example, it, it, it's, it's one of the ways that happened, it happened concurrently that women came into the workforce, right? So I'm not, 
you know, looking to go back a hundred years and make the food system great again. Um, we're, we're trying to look at ways that we as individuals can shop and feed ourselves in a way that is in our best interest from a mental health and emotional well-being point of view. If you are someone who loves to cook and you want to cook every single meal from scratch every single day, I honor that. I don't, I celebrate that. I mean, my gosh, that's amazing. Um, and I want to know who you are. <laughs> Please email me and tell me, tell me what you're doing. Um, but this is why I give a recipe, a simple recipe at the end of every episode that is going to help you and help me, to be honest, I do it every week too, because I need that support as well, that help all of us to get involved in cooking just a little bit uh, in a way that will satisfy us, in ways that ultra-processed foods just can't do. You know, I'm, I'm constantly talking about comparing food and sex, right? But like, it is sort of like, you know, there, there's a difference between having sex and watching pornography. And it's sort of, it feels, there, it feels the same to me as the idea of ultra processed foods and then just like making something for yourself, right? Because let's be honest, if my Italian ancestors or my, if any of my ancestors walked into an American grocery store today, they would fall to their knees and praise God that there was so much delicious available food. Um, it's a miracle. Whatever you think of, you know, the effects of it, it really is a miracle. But like so many other things that started in the 20th century, we're seeing the effects of them in the 21st century. And again, we don't know the mechanism for why ultra-processed foods are linked with decrease in mental health and emotional well-being. There's some idea that when oils are, are heated very high, as I said, the, the, the chemistry, the, the chemical makeup of that oil will change. And there are byproducts that happen from that high heat processing that could affect our brain. It's, 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 it, they're pathogens that could affect our brain. They're very small molecules. So they get through what's called the blood brain barrier that usually protects our brain from all kinds of toxins floating around in our bodies. But these tiny little compounds that are produced can get through to our brain and wreak havoc in there. So that's one idea, but nobody knows why. And nobody, we're not going to know in our lifetime because the human body is an ecosystem. And there, you can't isolate what somebody eats from what kind of what kind of neighborhood they live in, what kind of access to food they have, uh, what kind of time they have to prepare food or feed themselves. So it's just, you can't isolate one thing. We're not going to know in our lifetimes what the mechanism is. But in the meantime, we know that these things, that ultra-processed foods are linked to depression and anxiety and emotional well-being particularly from these two studies that I that I mentioned at the beginning that just came out this year. So here's our one way, one thing that you can do this week that I will do this week to focus on 
pulling away from ultra processed foods in an easy way. And to me, one of the, one of the, one of the best ways to get away from ultra processed food is to make your own soup. Now hear me out on this because you can do it in 15 minutes, I promise. But canned soup to me never tastes as good as homemade soup. There are things that are in a can that you're like, oh yeah, that that's as good as, you know, whatever I could make at home. Soup is not one of those things. I don't think I've ever had a can of soup that was as delicious as a homemade soup. They're super convenient. I I have canned soup, <laughs> but making your own soup is an easy, simple thing you can do with 15 minutes. So what I'm going to tell you about is what I call puree of any vegetable soup. You just get a saucepan. doesn't have to be big. If you're making soup for one, it's fine. Um, heat up some oil, a little bit of olive oil, throw in some chopped onions, and then put in whatever vegetable you want to have. Puree of broccoli, puree of butternut squash, puree of carrot. Carrots are really good one because you can just buy those baby carrots. You don't even have to peel or cut them. Like buy a bag of baby, baby carrots, put that in with the onions and the oil, uh, cook them for maybe like five minutes until they're tender, five to 10 minutes, and then add some water or, or chicken stock or a little bit of white wine if you want to, and then cook it for another five minutes or so on a, on a, on a low simmer and put it in a blender and puree it. Add some salt and pepper. If you want to add a little bit of cream or milk, you can do that. It can be cream of carrot, cream of broccoli, cream of butternut squash, whatever. But um, that is that puree of any vegetable soup, that oil, onion, vegetable, salt and pepper and broth. Um, is a really great thing that I go to a lot. And it's getting cold. And I'd like to make that for myself. And I'm going to this week. So that's Eat You'll Feel Better for this week. I'm Mary Beth Albright. And until next week, let's remember, having food choices is a privilege. See you next week. <laughs>